Stacey Abrams declares that the fetal heartbeat is actually an artificial sound. And we have more evidence, and the story continues to unfold, that proves that we are mutilating children for profit. I'm your host, Zach, and this is Zach's Fact Shack. Hello, and welcome back to Zach's Fact Shack. Today, we're going to cover quite a few different things, and we're going to do it really quickly, though. So before we get going, remember, if you're on YouTube, remember to like and subscribe and to ring the notification bell, but don't just do that. Don't stop there. Go ahead and comment and share it with your friends and let people know what we're talking about. Today's episode especially is going to cover some very important things that I think everyone needs to know about. This has been hidden for far too long. It has been ignored for far too long. And the media is absolutely gathering together to blot this out and to make sure no one finds out about it. And you can help make sure that doesn't happen. We want people to understand what is going down, and we're going to talk about it in just a minute. But if you're on audio, remember to go ahead and like and subscribe. Then let your friends and family know where they can listen or watch this show. If you need just one location, one location to be able to find all of the content, you can go to zacksfactcheck.com. There you'll have links for all of the audio podcasts on Amazon, Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, all of those locations, and the link to our YouTube and Rumble page as well are there just for you so you won't miss a single episode. Just make sure to go to zacksfactcheck.com. Now, let's begin. So, so, the... The first thing I want to talk about today is a statement made by the gubernatorial candidate for Georgia that she's running up, running against uh, Brian Kemp in the state of Georgia. And if you don't know anything about Georgia of where I'm from, the local politics, so let me do a quick rundown. In 2018, Kemp and Stacey Abrams both ran for the governorship um, there. Kemp narrowly won with about 50, maybe 60,000 votes, somewhere in that ballpark. Um, So a pretty tight race considering that there was, I think there was three or four million votes cast. Uh, So quite a few votes uh, cast and a very narrow margin. He won this year. uh, It's right. It's, it's, it's 2018 repeat. It is governor Kemp is running against Stacey Abrams. Who's the Democrat nominee. He is the Republican nominee. They are running for the governorship of Georgia again, and things are getting heated. Uh, It is simply because right now all of the polls show that Brian Kemp is winning in a landslide, at least for Georgia, because for a while Georgia has been more one of those purple states where you weren't quite sure what it was going to do, mainly because the urban area of Atlanta has grown so massive that it is beginning to outweigh the suburban and rural, rural areas of Georgia who vote by and large Republican, they vote red versus blue. And in 2020, you saw where that became very, very important because it was a, it was a purple election. Basically, um, Trump didn't win in Georgia, according to the, to the votes tallied, uh, but Biden did, but down the ballot, many Republicans did win. So it looks like it was mainly a, referendum on Trump to get rid of Trump. And that's fine. If that's that's your point, again, I've always said that I don't like him, right? I don't like Trump as a person. 
He seemed like he did a lot of good things. As president, he had a lot of good policies. There were some things that I did not like at all. But again, that's the way it is with most presidential candidates uh, or presidents in general. That's how that goes. So what ended up happening in that election is that we lost both Senate seats because we had a special election for Senate to the Democrat Party versus the Republican Party. So, and I do want you to understand that while I am not a Republican, I did vote for the Republicans in that election because they they were far closer aligned to what I believe than what the Democrat candidates believe. So, and that's not saying much because it was really holding your nose to vote in most most cases. This election is very much a it is very much a troublesome election for the Democrats. Right now, Kemp holds anywhere between an 8 and 12 point lead in all of the polls without exception. He is absolutely killing it in the polls right now. Um and it's mainly because most people do not like Stacey Abrams. Now, does she have good ideas? I'm sure to some degree she can have good ideas. I have not heard them espoused. I just have not heard them. Um, I do know that she absolutely, absolutely is socialist in most of her beliefs, um, in most of what she espouses. She is absolutely left, not liberal, left. Um, very much uh, part of the victimhood ideologies. Um, you can even see that back because she actually was calling herself the true winner of the governor's race. She was actually no, was calling herself, was introducing herself in post-election rallies as Governor Stacey Abrams. That's how much of an election denier she was. Now, all of that said, that gives you the back history, that gives you everything that's going on. Where we are right now is in a heated election, and it's heated for one reason. The Democrats are terrified of losing this election. They desperately want Stacey Abrams to win and to win big. But all of the polls currently say otherwise. So they're going hard after abortion, which seems to be about the only winning topic uh, for the Democrats right now. They cannot win on the economy. That is struggling. They cannot win on jobs. That's struggling. They cannot win on uh, taxes. That's That doesn't that doesn't work either. Uh, they can't win with inflation. There's not much going in the favor of Democrats right now as a, as a party. But one of the things that people have decided actually is going in their favor is the overturning of Roe v. Wade. Now, most people believe that when Roe was overturned that it outlawed abortions na- nationwide, and it did not. It didn't even come close to that. Instead, what it did is it simply said that the court did not have the authority to decide this case. There was nothing in the Constitution prohibiting or enforcing the right to abortion. So they had no ability to speak on the matter. It went back to the states and the elected representatives of the nation, which I think was the proper decision. uh, I know that many conservatives wanted them to go even further and to say, and there's a right to life, and so, boom, there is no abortion allowed. And I don't, again, I do not think that the Supreme Court had that power. I think that that would be judicial activism, 
again in the other direction. And again, I am not for that. I am absolutely not for judicial activism of any kind. But all of that said, this is what I wanted to talk about today with Stacey Abrams. So prior to Roe v. Wade being overturned this year, Georgia had passed a law with the intention of basically pushing the courts to overturn Roe. That's what the law was designed for. But it's called, known as the heartbeat bill. And what it does is this. It simply states that if a heartbeat is detectable by ultrasound, then you cannot abort the child. That's it. That's all it says. That's literally all it says. The only exceptions to that are in the case of the life of the mother, rape, and incest. Those are the exceptions, but it's not, it's not a, you cannot do it for, I just don't want the baby, right? That's, you, that's not allowed. You cannot do that. So that bill was immediately attacked with a lawsuit and was not struck down, but was held up because the Supreme Court had taken a case out of Mississippi, which then became the Dobbs case, which is the Dobbs ruling, which overturned Roe v. Wade. And as soon as that took place, all other matters pertaining to abortion had to go back to their courts and be ruled according to the new ruling of the Supreme Court. And in this case, Georgia's law was enacted because it fell in line with the new Dobbs ruling. So this rule, this law simply states that if there's a heartbeat detected, you cannot kill the baby after that. That's all it says. When does the heartbeat, when is it detected? Well, at this point, it is detected between six to eight weeks. That's whenever we're able to detect the heartbeat. That does not mean that the heart is not pumping prior to that. In fact, it is, we just can't detect it. So what does that mean? Well, that means that after about six-ish weeks, maybe eight weeks if, it, if, it's, if it's later, um, that you're able to hear it, you are no longer able to abort your child. Well, this means that many people in many cases have no idea that they're pregnant in any way because most a lot of people, they find it out through uh, a missed period, a missed cycle, however you want to put that. Uh, they find it out at about eight to 12 weeks or anywhere in that range. Now, you can figure it out earlier. You can take tests. You can, If you're actively looking, all of these things can happen. You can know before that. But if you're just not caring, I don't care one way or the other. And don't look for it. You're not, it's, you're not on, uh, the, uh, on the lookout for it. Then you're not going to find out until it is too late. So this is where we come back and we see this footage from Stacey Abrams and what she said. I'm just going to let, I'm just going to play it and let you hear it before I comment. So here she goes. There is no such thing as a heartbeat in six weeks. It is a manufactured sound designed to convince people that men have the right to take control of a woman's body away from her. Now, I know that that audio was pretty, pretty hard to hear, so let me read the transcript of it. There is no such thing as a heartbeat at six weeks. It is a manufactured sound designed to convince people that men have the right to take control of a woman's body. I don't know about you, 
but I'm not an idiot. I may not be a genius, but I'm not an idiot. And I feel like this clip is pandering to either willfully ignorant idiots or people who simply want their opinion confirmed. Because anybody who's looking for reality, anybody who's looking for the truth, of which people who watch this show, that's what you're doing. You want reality. You don't even want my opinion. You want the truth. Well, here's the truth. The heartbeat can be detected by the instruments that we have now at six to eight weeks. It is not artificial. It is real. The heart is actually pumping, and you can hear it. And no, men are not that concerned with your body. I'm sorry. But the idea that men have artificially created a heartbeat sound that is at simultaneously at every single doctor in the world who has an ultrasound and does uh, the, the, the prenatal care of a mother and a child who is there, every single one of them, men and women, all have this perfect machine that was interfered with by this crazy boogeyman in the background that made an artificial sound that is just programmed to happen at exactly six to eight weeks. Or maybe, and hear me out now, hear me out, maybe, just, just maybe, it's real and the heart is actually beating and you can hear it. Maybe that's what's really happening. And not the conspiracy theory that Abrams is seemingly pushing. I know that she wants abortion on demand up to and including birth. I know she wants that. She has said she wants that. But here's reality. And it's real important. Reality simply is this. Men did not get together and say, we're going to create a heartbeat sound at six weeks. We don't really know how we're going to determine that it's six weeks, but that's whenever the machine's going to put it there. But it might not be six weeks, but it's about six weeks. But it's all fake. I'm sorry. And if you think that I am being overly belligerent here, I am sorry that you feel that way because I do not. I do not feel that that is what's happening. I do not feel that I am giving this any less respect than it is due. The insanity of this clip and the, the the quote, there is no such thing as a heartbeat at six weeks. It is a manufactured sound. Manufactured sound. Designed to convince people that men have the right to take control of a woman's body. This is Abrams' quote. I can understand if you don't like that the, 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 the limit is a heartbeat. I understand that. I understand that if you, you don't want the limit to be six to eight weeks. I understand that. I don't agree, but I understand. What I can't understand is someone espousing that there's some diabolical plan to create a fake heartbeat sound to control women's bodies. That is insanity. Any way you slice it, it just is. Now, 
I will not kick the dead horse any longer. We will move on. And where I want to move to is a, a rather sad, sad story, actually. Um, this is a story from Matt Walsh. And if you don't know who that is, Matt Walsh is a commentator, a conservative commentator at the Daily Wire, which is a conservative news outlet. Now, they are very clear that they're conservative. They do not hide that bias. They are absolutely biased, as to a degree I am, right? I, I try to give you both sides of the information, but where I stand right now is that I am absolutely conservative, and if I'm going to have a bias, I need you to understand that that's where it is. So keep that, keep yourself aware of that uh, whenever you listen to what I say. And if you, I'm going to follow suit with some people that I that I trust a lot. Take what I'm saying. Go look at left-wing news media, and where we line up, that's reality, that's fact. Where we don't is opinion. Now, you determine what you want to believe and where you want to go. That's fine. It's up to you. You do that. But what we're going to talk about here, I think, is absolutely reality, and it's absolutely dangerous. And I think you deserve to know this truth. I think you deserve to know what's going on. First off, I'm going to be reading his tweets where he broke this story and showing some clips that back that up. So pay attention and follow along with me. So Matt Walsh tweets, breaking, my team and I have been investigating at the transgender clinic at Vanderbilt here in Nashville. Vanderbilt drugs chemically castrates and performs double mastectomies on minors, but it gets worse. Here's what we found. Let's start at the beginning. All right. So that's, that's the story. That's where we're at so far. Vanderbilt opened its trans clinic in 2018. During a lecture the same year, Dr. Shane Taylor explained how she convinced Nashville to get into the gender transition game. She emphasized that it's a big moneymaker, especially because the surgeries require a lot of follow-ups. So let's get into this clip first, and let's see what she actually says. Starting in January 1st of 2017, according to the Affordable Care Act, insurance cover carriers are mandated to cover medical expenses for trans folks. Um, some of our BUMC financial folks in, 20, in August of 20, I'm sorry, October of 2016, sorry, a couple years ago, put down some costs of how much money we think each patient would bring in. And this is only including top surgery. This isn't including any bottom surgery. And um, it's a lot of money. These surgeries make a lot of money. Um, so female to male chest reconstruction can bring in $40,000. A patient just on routine hormone treatment, who I'm only seeing a few times a year, can bring in several thousand dollars because that requires a lot of visits and labs. It actually makes money for the hospital. Now these I got from the internet, um, but it's from uh, the Philadelphia Center for Transgender Surgery, which has, um, does a lot of um, surgery for patients. And I just want to give you an idea of how much these bottom surgeries are making. And this is, I think this has to be an underestimate. Uh, this is for a vaginoplasty. They're saying, they're quoting roughly around $20,000 for a vaginoplasty, but that doesn't include your hospital stay. That doesn't include your post-op visits. That doesn't include um, your anesthesia, your OR. So I would think that this has to be a gross underestimate. I think that's just like the surgeon's um, piece of it, which anybody who's ever been in a hospital knows that that's like 10% of it. Um, and then the female to male bottom surgeries, these are huge money makers. 
again, I think this has to be an underestimate that they're quoting around $20,000 for a phalloplasty. There's been different things that I've read that said it could be up to $100,000. Um, Dr. Winokur, who's our surgeon, says that there's entire clinics where the entire clinic is supported just by their phalloplasties, and that is like a fraction of the surgeries that they're doing. These surgeries are labor intensive, they require a lot of follow-ups, they require a lot of OR time, and they make money. They make money for the hospital. So, here we go. This was the, this was the argument made by this person who was trying to get these gender surgeries done at Vanderbilt University Hospital. What she says is both shocking and not all at the same time. What do I mean by that? Well, what I mean is this. Anyone who ever thought, possibly thought, that the doctors were in any way concerned about your health as a transgender person and not about the bottom line, I think you can be disavowed of that now. You can be disabused of that. And what I mean by that is, are there certain doctors who think they're actually helping? Yes, I'm sure there are. But most doctors realize and just don't care that are actually doing these surgeries. I think that many of them understand that this is purely about profit. It's purely about money. She talks about it. What makes so much money? Well, a vaginoplasty. That is taking a man's penis and trying to create a vagina out of it. Well, we've talked about how that actually works and what actually ends up happening with that and what what dangers there is and all of the follow-ups that do take place because it is such a... Excuse me, cover your ears, kids. It's such a bastardization of medical healthcare procedures that, yes, it would cause follow ups because you're dealing with constant infections. Your body is constantly trying to shut the holes you have put into it because it's not proper. It shouldn't be there. But so instead, they have to insert objects into this fake canal that they've created to keep stretching it back open, to keep pushing the skin and tearing it back open, causing a tremendous amounts of pain. Many will actually not have any feeling whatsoever in their private area because, into the, in, in their genitals, because of the mutilation that has taken place at the hands of these doctors who are there solely for profit. Now, people say that, no, these doctors are trying to help. And I'm sure that there are many people who are doctors, who are medical professionals, who honestly think it is helping. They are completely misinformed and ignorant of reality, but their heart is absolutely trying to help people. I totally understand that. I get it. But reality says very differently about whether it actually helps anyone. And this doesn't. It does not help the people who are truly confused, who are trying to figure out what the heck is going on with my body, what is happening. I don't understand. Yeah, this doesn't help in any way. And now we see that the the, the doctors and the hospitals that are pushing this, like, yes, we're going to do this. It is entirely about money. And before anybody says, well, it's always about money. Yes, because they are businesses. 
But this happened to be the one thing that I see people say that it was not about business. It was solely because they were trying to help. They were trying to make things better. Well, let me tell you this, Vanderbilt doesn't even believe that because in the very next clip that we have, we talk about how there are consequences for people who do not fall into line and do these procedures. So let's continue. Vanderbilt was apparently concerned that not all of its staff would be on board. So Dr. Ellen Clayton warned that the conscientious objectors, objections are problematic. Anyone who decides not to be involved in transition surgeries due to religious beliefs will face consequences. Let's watch the clip. If you are going to assert conscientious objection, you have to realize that that is problematic. You are doing something to another person and you are not paying for the, the cost for your belief. I think that is a real, I mean, I think that's a real issue. So, um, so I think, you know, so you're, so yes, Vanderbilt, if someone has a conscientious objection to uh, participating in this sort of surgery, it, it would probably have to accommodate you to the extent that you can find another person who can do your job, who doesn't have an objection, other things of that nature. But I just want you to take home that saying that you're not going to do something because of your conscientious, because of your religious beliefs is not without consequences. And, and it should not be without consequences. And I just want to put that out there. We are given enormous, if you don't want to do this kind of work, don't work at Vanderbilt. I, I'm, I, need, to, I need to replay part of that clip. So I, I want you to listen to what she says. I believe it's right about here. Uh, for participating in this sort of surgery, it, it probably have to accommodate you to the extent that you can find another person who can do your job, who doesn't have an objection, other things of that nature. But I just right here, listen to this. want you to take home that saying that you're not going to do something because of your conscientious, because of your religious beliefs is not without consequences. And, and it should not be without consequences. And I just want to put that out there. We are given enormous if you don't want to do this kind of work, don't work at Vanderbilt. Okay, so what she wants you to take home from that whole clip, what she wants you to take home, not me, her. She said what she wants you to take home is this, that your objections on your religious grounds, they're not without consequences, and they shouldn't be. She continues on and she says, and if you don't want to do these procedures, don't work at Vanderbilt. Is that not a veiled threat of if you don't do this, your job is in question? I'm not saying that it's that they'll fire you, but I am saying that you probably won't get promoted. You're probably going to be low down on the totem pole. They're not going to acquiesce to your requests. They're not going to look out for you and what's best for you, right? I think that is clear. That is obvious. That's what's really happened, Was going is what really is going to happen. So absolutely, people say, well, then just don't do the surgeries. Well, apparently that's not an option for if you want to work at Vanderbilt. 
Apparently that's not the case. You have to do these procedures or run the risk of not having your job. Now, let's continue on because it gets worse. We're not even to the worst part yet. In case the objectors hadn't got the message, Vanderbilt unveiled a program called TransBuddies. The buddies are trans activists from the community who attend appointments with trans patients, monitoring the doctors to guard against unsafe behavior such as misgendering. So let's see what clip what that clip has to say. My name is Sean Riley, and I am the program coordinator for TransBuddy at the Program for LGBTQ Health at Vanderbilt University. TransBuddy provides trained peer advocates for transgender patients who are coming for doctor's appointments or other healthcare-related services. Whether you're looking for something that's related to medical transition, such as hormone therapy, or something completely unrelated, like breaking an arm or going to an ENT, we are here to help support any transgender patients that come through our doors. The TransBuddy program was organically created through the efforts of transgender people and continues to consistently be led by trans people in Middle Tennessee. TransBuddy program is a one of a kind in the nation and institutions are looking to Vanderbilt to replicate and expand programs like ours. We're not seeking to find solutions often for people's problems, we're just seeking to be there and to accompany and to be a friendly face um, and to be a non-medical face in a, in a place where everybody coming in the room is going to be a healthcare provider and and may be unsafe. Sometimes I'm there to be um, sort of uh, always observing kind of how hospital staff are um, interacting with individuals. And again, you know, using correct pronouns or treating the individual with respect. So, if you didn't understand from the previous speech given by the hospital that your conscientious objections are not going to stand, if you didn't understand that, then this ought to make you understand that not only will they not stand, If you have an objection to anything transgender whatsoever, they're going to make sure that you are written up, that you get in trouble, because they're going to send buddies with these kids who are going to come in and are going to tell you how you are supposed to reference people, how you are going to talk to them, what you are going to say. These people are not doctors. These people are not medical professionals. They have no medical training whatsoever. They simply are going to make sure you tell these kids what they want you to tell them, not what the kid needs to hear, not what is medically proper for the kid, nothing like that, just what they think you should tell them. What happened to it's between the doctor and the patient? What happened to that whole ideology? Now it's between the doctor, the patient, and a third party who over here is very, very much biased towards getting this kid to be this kid to be trans. That's absolutely what is happening. This kid who is confused and is concerned and is worried and doesn't feel right in their body of which what preteen kid ever did, they're going in here. And the doctor is not allowed to tell them, hey, guess what? Everybody feels something like this. You might have something a little more, but everybody has something akin to this at some point in their life. And guess what? Almost all of them grow out of it. Almost all of them completely grow out of it if they're left to their own. 
But the moment that we intervene and do give you surgery, drugs, whatever, those people never grow out of it. Ever. And many of them will later commit suicide. What I need you to understand here is that this is not for the child's benefit, and it certainly ain't for the doctor's benefit. It's for the benefit of an agenda. It's for the benefit of the hospital getting paid millions to do unnecessary butchery on these people. And lest you think that it's just adults, because it's not, this is happening to minors. It is happening to people 18 and under, as young as 13. Let's continue with what he says next. Vanderbilt Vanderbilt makes their trans buddies available to children too. So this is not just for adults. It's for children. They make lots of services available to children, including chemical castration, though at some point in the last month, they removed the explicit admission of this fact from their site. So here is a screenshot of a archived site, of the archived site. And it simply says, Tests, Treatment, and Services. We offer a full range of tests, treatment, and services, including gender-affirming hormone therapy, uh, puberty blocking. That's what it says. That's the screenshot. And that screen, that is from... Says September 20th or August 31st to September 20th. Sorry, September 20th of 2020 to August 31st, 2022. That's when how long that piece of information was on the website. That's how long that was there. It has since been taken down for whatever reason. We don't know. We don't know if they don't no longer offer it or if it's simply that they aren't going to tell you that they offer it. Either one, either one is possible. In this case, I would say that the second is more likely just because of how much they're trying to hide from you and from parents, right? They're absolutely pushing an agenda and they're not pushing things for the health or the safety of the kids. They just aren't. So let's continue on. But they must have forgot. So this is that they deleted that, but they must have forgot to delete a video from Vanderbilt's psychiatry uh, YouTube channel back in 2020, which admits explicitly that they will give and have given irreversible hormone drugs to children as young as 13. So let's look at this clip. We can provide gender affirming hormones on an individual who is on a pubertal blocker, depending on whatever kind of blocker they've chosen or we have discussed with them, or they can present to us at a later stage of puberty and then we provide the gender affirming hormones. Previously, the Endocrine Society recommended to start these at age 16, but we all know that would be delayed puberty, right? Not 16-year-olds don't start puberty. So more recently, they did update that to say as early as 14 for compelling reasons. So we have some individuals who have started gender-affirming hormones at 13 or 14 to be more like their peers. Again, fertility preservation and consent are very important to discuss prior to any initiation of these. So... Again, they're admitting explicitly that they are doing this to kids, to children, to minors, not adults. And I don't think it should be done to adults, but guess what? Adults have the right to do what they want with their own body. If they want to mutilate themselves, go ahead. 
I wish you wouldn't. I think that you're better than that. I don't think you need to do that. But I understand you're confused and you want to do something that you think is going to work. It never does, but you think it's going to and you're going to do it. It's, I guess it's the newest drug, in all honesty, in that it always is portrayed as making things better. But in the end, it will always make it worse. Always. After they have drugged and sterilized the kids, Vanderbilt, as explained in the vi- this video presentation by plastic surgeon John, or Julian Winokur and physician's assistant Shailen Vanderblomen, will happily perform double mastectomies on adolescent girls. So let's see what this clip's got to say. So when we, when we talk about the WPATH guidelines, so in order for our patients to really um, successfully undergo these surgeries, we do, uh, again, follow these guidelines. So a lot of times it's for insurance purposes, um, but we, again, insurances kind of follow suit with the WPATH guidelines for the most part. So for any kind of top surgery, uh, we do require one letter of persistent, well-documented gender dysphoria by a licensed mental health provider. Um, we ensure that the patient is capable of making uh, fully informed decisions on the, their own. They're the age of majority. However, for a lot of our younger patients, um, again, if they are 16, 17 here at Vanderbilt, um, if they have been on testosterone, have a parental consent, um, we're able to do a lot of the top surgeries for those patients. So if they're at, so at Vanderbilt, if they've been on testosterone, which we know they're starting at 13, 14 years old, then those kids can get top surgery. Now, it's a nice way of saying a double mastectomy. Removing the breast, t- the breast tissue from a girl's chest to flatten it to have the appearance of a boy. Mutilation of two perfectly healthy functional organs of the female body solely to make money. People will say that, no, I'm reducting that too much and that what it really is is that it's, it's, it's helping them in their mental ability to cope with their own body. No, it's not. You may want it to be that. You may want that to be the case, but it's not. It's not reality. It's not what's really going on. It's what you want to be reality. Is what you want to be truth so that you feel better about allowing it to happen. But the reality is that these kids are being mutilated, irreversibly mutilated. They're being irreversibly drugged with hormones that cause brain swelling, cancer, osteoporosis, that's the weakening of muscle, uh, of bones, that they will experience for the remainder of their life. This is not okay. It's not good. It's not wonderful. Before I end today, I wanted to show you one more clip that I've had for a while, but I couldn't quite figure out how best to play it without making it a gotcha moment. 
But this part here, I want you to hear. No hyperbole, no political grandstanding, simply reality and a heartfelt, emotional response to what we're seeing. This is the story of a girl who was detransitioning after finding Jesus. The, the audio is a little problematic, but I want you to listen. Listen closely to what she is saying and listen to her story and her words and understand that she is one among millions. Listen to this. My name is Sophia Galvin. I am 22 years old, born female, detransitioning for two years, and here independently to speak about my experiences. I was 17 when I began to experience gender dysphoria. At the time, I was a senior in high school, president of the LGBT club, and actively supported gender-affirming treatment. I began abruptly to socially transition and was immediately affirmed by my peers and school staff. This was after a history of mental affliction due to wounds in my heart running as deep as an abyss. I was often suicidal, would self-harm, and psychiatric drugs and therapy were unable to help me. Nobody around me called into question whether the dysphoria I was feeling could possibly be related to this. Once I was affirmed, I was trapped and was led to believe that each next step of the process would somehow bring me the fulfillment I was looking for. However, after two years of hormone therapy and a double mastectomy, I was left far worse than before. I lost my college scholarship, was unemployed, raped multiple times, addicted to sex and drugs, and unable to have a logical or coherent thought. So at 20 years old, I decided to stop testosterone. It was only then that I gained the maturity to think logically about the possible physical and psychological effects of these treatments. After deciding to transition, I received no support in this process. Neither could I find any substantial online resources. I started experiencing all sorts of medical issues that no doctor was able to explain. If I was in torment before, I was now in literal hellfire. All I wanted was to move on with my life, yet every time I looked in the mirror or opened my mouth to speak, I was reminded of the terrible mistakes I made, and no amount of therapy was still able to do anything for me. Not knowing what else to do, I prayed and asked God to help me. I didn't know who God was, but from a young age I would pray, hoping he was up there listening. It was then that someone spoke to me about having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, and I began understanding the abundant love that Jesus had for me. I then received his spirit into my heart. He was the only thing that could fill that infinite abyss I mentioned earlier. If I would have known then what I know now, I never would have made the decision to transition. I believe that gender dysphoria can be attributed to other root causes, notably childhood sexual abuse, and mutilating our external being cannot heal an inward problem. I also believe because of the statistically significant number of detransitioners who find healing through Christ, that Christ-based therapeutic resources should be included in research as we develop the best solutions to this growing epidemic. I can tell you personally, I would not be alive and breathing here today if it were not for Jesus Christ, nor would I have the strength and boldness as the only detransitioner willing to testify of my experiences in the state of Florida. Also, I will soon be filing a formal complaint with the Florida Board of Medicine about my experiences. Thank you for your time. So, as I said, a heartfelt, emotional response to everything we've been seeing 
to all of the stories, all of the, un, all of the nightmares, the fears, the worries on both sides. There is no cure for what is ailing you emotionally, mentally, physically outside of Jesus Christ. Now, I know many of you who are listening to this are not believers. You're not Christians, and that's fine. But the reality is, is what we're looking at is not just a cultural decay. It's a spiritual decay. It is a society that has turned its back on religion of all kinds, but specifically on Christianity, which is what built the Western culture that we live in. And you can argue with that, you can disagree with that all you want, and that's fine, it's your prerogative. But the understanding that all men are created equal is a uniquely Christian ideal. The understanding that men and women are equal is uniquely Christian. The idea that everyone should be treated fairly and should be able to own their own property and uh, should have the fruits of their own labor are purely Christian beliefs. The right that justice is not, justice and revenge are not the same is purely Christian. The idea that the authority put over you by the government was placed there by God and that you should listen to that and follow that until it breaks with what God says is very much a Christian belief. Where we are right now is a society that is determined that all religion should be abandoned and that Christianity should be ridiculed and shamed. The one thing that can help you try to figure out the confusion and nightmare that you're living in with gender dysphoria, the one thing that can help you find a fulfilling life is what's being pushed out of societal norms, out of culturally acceptable conversations. If you're a Christian, if you're a believer, more often than not, you're told to stop cramming this down our throats. I would would argue that that's not what I'm doing here. I am simply telling you the truth. The surgeries, the drugs, the pronouns are never, ever going to make you feel whole. Ever. But there is someone who can. I'm going to end the show there. And guys, this one has been a a tougher show, I'm sure. Uh, it was for me. I'm guessing it was for you as well. But I think it was one that needed to happen. It was one that was needed because the reality is that there is a lot going on in our society 
that we can change and that we can improve and that we can make better. So let's do that. Share this episode with your friends. Let them know what's going on. Show them reality. Show them the truth. Show them that there is hope. ZaxFactCheck.com is where they can find all the links to everywhere you want. You can send the YouTube video link wherever you want to do it. Let them know what you have found and the truth you have found. But until next time, I'm your host, Zach. And this has been Zach's Fact Check.